Hey listeners, welcome to episode 56 of Resiliency. This is Silas West and my co-host Steve Finley. Hi everybody, I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving together. Mm. Yes, my uh, my oven went out for Thanksgiving. I know. Yeah, I know you, you used because I always used yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a couple of minutes, Steve and I are going to talk about some Advent resources, so definitely stay tuned for that. Yeah, and today we're going to be joined again by Dr. Burrett Hess. Uh, a few episodes ago, Burrett shared with us about pre-field, building pre-field resiliency, and today he shares some great stuff about resiliency on the field, so stay tuned for that for sure. Mm. So let's do our intro and get on with today's show. Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resiliency of field workers. Twice a month, co-hosts Steve Finley and Silas West bring you their conversations with long-term field workers or experts in the field of member care with the goal of encouraging you in your life and work of cross-cultural ministry. Hey there, Resiliency listeners. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy first week of Advent. If this is your first time listening to Resiliency, we welcome you. Before we get started, I know we say this every week, but it really would help us to make the podcast better if we could hear from you. It takes time, I know, but if you could leave us a review, send us an email, smoke signal, Morse code, anything that you can do to let us know how we're doing, what needs improvement, topics that you think would be helpful to develop your resiliency, or guests that you think the world of global workers need to hear from. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, on Instagram, at Resiliency Podcast, or email us at resiliencypodcast at antiochwaco.com. Also, your reviews and ratings will help others find the podcast, so if you have found this to be a helpful resource, help us make it possible for others to discover it. Steve, we are now into the first week of Advent, but that's not a topic that gets talked about a whole lot in the evangelical church, at least I haven't found it to be. Has that been your experience? No, I tell you, I don't have the best memory in the world, Silas, but I, I just don't, I personally don't have a memory of, oh, I always grew up with a strong emphasis on Advent in our church or, or even in our family. So yeah, I'd have to say that it's a subject that, um, that I'm not as well versed in as maybe a few others. Yeah, yeah, and it's same for me. My, my wife is from the United Methodist Church, and so Advent was a very big part of her upbringing. But it, was a, it wasn't until I met her that I even really knew what it was at all. Yeah. But Christmas is one of the most sacred times in the Christian calendar, and it's becoming increasingly secular. One author recently tweeted, to keep the sacred at the center of our lives is a heroic act of defiance. We need practices and traditions that draw upon the deep wells of ancient wisdom and practice. Mm. While the liturgical calendar is one of the ways we can draw from those deep wells, we don't really talk about that much in most of our our, our church circles, but it is an important thing. And we have a regular calendar, mine's on Outlook, and it helps me coordinate my life and work. But the liturgical calendar is a way of marking time through the course of the year by telling the story of Jesus. And one calendar reminds me of what I have to do and what I'm usually running late for. 
So it has an aspect of being in a hurry embedded within it. But the blessing of Advent is to instill within us a quiet slowness into our soul. Advent essentially is four weeks in the liturgical calendar designed to slow us down and create space for us to long for the coming of the Messiah, a season of waiting and expectancy and helps us cultivate patience and attentiveness. Yeah, I mean, there's there are a lot of resources out there. I'm not the guy to, to give you the list of them. Just yesterday I was reading an email from our uh, the head of our welcome ministries at Antioch Community Church here in Waco. And Amy King was saying, hey, I want to commend to you guys a couple of Advent resources. And she was reading a book. She had a book that she uh, that they're reading as a family. There are all kind of resources. In fact, in past years, Silas, you've written a daily Advent guide and you've co-authored a guide with a group of members of the church that used to pastor, mm-hmm. be a pastor up in Omaha. So um, hopefully we can dig those up and link them in the show notes. As I say, there's books, there are podcasts, there's websites. And, um, you know, if you, list, if you have any kind of a, a Bible app or a daily Bible reading type of thing that you use, uh, you're inevitably going to be able to find some Advent resources there. So we commend these things to you. We encourage you to make Advent a part of your preparations for Christmas. Yeah, so Christmas, it's often just a flurry of activity, meetings, uh, parties, and all the kind of things that we have to do. We can feel so rushed. But what if the entire Christmas season was actually a time that fostered greater resilience instead of weariness and stress? Intentionally creating space for Advent can make that happen. And so if you've already got your own favorite Advent traditions and resources, please dust them off and use them. But if you need somewhere to start, we've included some links to PDFs, books, and websites that can help you make the most of the Advent season. That's good, Silas. Hey, listeners, may you have a blessed Advent and just a great Christmas season as we enter into this month of December. So let's go to our interview with Dr. Burrett Hess. Burrett, thanks for being here with us again. Um, Really loved what you shared the last time and got some pretty good uh, response as far as the number of people who are listening to it. So wanted to have you back. Great. Finish our conversation or at least uh, continue our conversation. (coughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, thank you for, for being here. Certainly. And um, so the last time that you were here, we talked about pre-field resiliency practices or even mindsets for pre-field resiliency. Mm -hmm. And so today we wanted to just kind of pick your brain about once you get on the field, you leave your home country and you're there, what are some of the the things that, um, that we can be thinking about and doing to develop resiliency practices once we're on the field? So just talk to us a little bit about adaptation and transition processes once people arrive into their host country. Yeah, so a lot of this is going to be predicated on the idea that hopefully there's been a fair amount of discernment prior to going overseas. Hopefully. And so I I don't want to be redundant and repeat what we talked about last time. Uh, At the same time, I I hope that, that there's been a season of discernment and clarity regarding who the individual is, who they are in the context of uh, additional relationships such as marriage, family, team, um, being aware of the challenges that that they may bring into that context from their home uh, situation, whether that's medical issues, whether that's emotional, psychological issues, or family history that they bring to those contexts. And being aware that in that place of transition, there are so many 
there's so many things going on, right? Because you're in a new culture, you're in a new place, there's no familiarity. And those are the contexts that are really ripe for pulling out of us some of those challenges that we may have under the surface. It's, that's where things like anxiety, depression may manifest because everything is so new, so different, so unsettled. And so I think being aware, first of all, of your tendencies, your proclivities, your family history, the things that we talked about last time that you're bringing to the table may manifest um, in those contexts. And so I think that as much as possible, bringing some type of consistency, schedule, um, regular practice, spiritual disciplines into that context and, main, and, and figuring out pretty quickly and prioritizing a way to maintain those, to implement those in that, in those new, in that new context, whatever that may be, um, is really, really important. One of the things that my family has found helpful is to think about developing the, what's called a rule of life. It's derived from uh, Benedictine um, theology and practice. Uh, St. Augustine also had a rule of life. Um, but basically it takes your, an, uh, it takes that self-awareness and asks you to craft your own vision, mission, and then a set of disciplines that you're going to incorporate into your life and this is done ideally in the context of prayer, conversation, whether that's spiritual direction, community, um, small group, developing daily, weekly, and yearly practices that you know are life-giving for you based on, um, based on who you are and what you know about yourself and what others have helped you clarify about yourself, and, and then being consistent about implementing those. And, Generally, that looks a lot like some type of a, of a devotional process that happens on a daily basis. Um, and then the disciplines that, uh, in addition to that that help to facilitate health as well, whether that's exercise, regular retreat, time away, conversation um, in community, conversation with spouse. There are, there are a number of different resources that you can use to craft a rule of life, to think about a rule of life, and, and we could go into that further if you wanted to talk about that further. But having something like that in place when you go and then being very dedicated to that rule can help to bring some stability to that context. This is not the time either to stop exercising, but you're going to have to figure out how you exercise in the context where you are. If you're moving to an urban context where you're living in a high-rise um, how do you keep up a running habit? Um, how do you keep up exercise in that context? And so hopefully there's even been some pre-field work in that you scouted out your context and you're aware of what your needs are and you've identified prior to going into that context the ways that you can utilize your, dis your personal disciplines, your personal habits that help keep you healthy and, and help maintain your resiliency in that new context. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, any number of our people who, they live in a big city, they did join a gym nearby. Right. Another one doesn't live, but lives in a very, rem not remote as much as undeveloped place and was able to, I don't even remember how, but get a treadmill mm -hmm. to, to put in their home. So yeah, contextualizing the need for exercise. Um, in fact, one person, the person I'm thinking of that did that, 
they had a uh, like a half marathon. You know, mom did a half marathon, and she literally ran a thirteen point one. Wow! On the treadmill, mm-hmm. uh, so it was a big family thing, and they had signs and all that. And that's great. Yeah, it was really great. I heard you say we as you talked about rule of life, uh, Burra, and you were. I think you were referring to your family. So, a lot of people would be wondering, like, how can I disciple my children in this? Is, does it sounds like maybe is that something that you guys have done as a family? We've worked at that. I wouldn't say that we're perfect there, but the rule of life does give you some guidance about, or should give you some guidance about. Um, not only individual devotional time, but if you're married, marital devotional time together, um, <clears throat> as well as give you some direction insofar as family devotional time. What we've done personally is to to use uh, the evening prayer format from the Book of Common Prayer together, and we adapt that to our unique needs. If the kids have homework, we'll shorten it, um, or we may we may lengthen it based on what their needs are in the evening. But something that builds a rhythm in, a rhythm of prayer, a rhythm of listening to one another, a rhythm of scripture reading uh, that is formative over time for our spirits and our life with God. And as a result, feeds back into our emotional and physical health as well. Um, in in uh, Peter Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he talks in the end of it, he talks a little bit about developing a rule of life. Is there any particular resource that you found to be helpful and for anyone that might be looking at or interested in kind of learning a little bit more about that? Yes. I think if you want a good introduction to Benedictine spirituality, Dennis Ockholm's Hock- book, Monk Habits for Everyday People, was a good intro for us. Um, and he actually titles that um, Benedictine Spirituality for Protestants. Uh, and we found that really helpful, but it, was a, it wasn't the end point for us. Um, <clears throat> we had a fellow in our lives who actually had written his own guide to creating a rule of life. And I, I don't know that that's necessarily available, but um, there is, InterVarsity Press has published a book called Crafting a Rule of Life um, that is based on the rule of St. Benedict and I think would be a, a helpful place for people to go to, to, to consider that. The nice thing about a rule is that even though it uses the word rule in the descriptor, it's not something that's fixed. It's an organic tool that you can go back to over time and you should go back to over time and reread, reevaluate prayerfully and in in the context of community to see if it's still descriptive and still um, effective in terms of helping you, your family, your children, your community of faith continue to grow and, and to flourish in, in who God has called you and made you to be. So it's more like setting some boundaries and parameters than a, or structure that you can build into or fit fill into according yes. to your context and the changing seasons of your life. Yes. That's good. Um, one of, when you were talking about when you first go overseas, it's kind of like that, that season of time or that place of, in time where it's ripe for potential of developing any kind of mental illness or mm-hmm. or something like that. And the way that, that you described it, I couldn't help but think about how that's the same as, as what trauma often does with people, mm-hmm. the same kind of things. Like that's where something that, if, if there was something that was underlying, that's where it's going to, to come about. Is there, would you see that there's a relationship between how trauma affects us and how this kind of cross-cultural transition affects our, our minds and our bodies? Yes. 
because both obviously I think to your point can uncover things that, that are hidden and so that's why I think that going into that with as much self-knowledge as you can um, as well as being aware of the the signs and symptoms if you will of illness of um, maladaptive behavior and what those what the significance of those might mean is is so important and as well a, a commitment to being transparent with family with teammates mm, yeah. about what the risks might be because we're not always aware of when those things manifest in our lives I mean I've seen people who who were under considerable stress and had a family history of bipolar disorder and maybe they they've been diagnosed maybe they've not but then they start to manifest symptoms of it but they're not they don't have the insight or they don't have the self-awareness to see those and and other people see it but they don't and that 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 can be a very challenging place mm. for somebody and, and trying to help that person come to terms with what's manifesting and acknowledge it can be a really, really difficult and challenging um, experience. And that's, that's the sort of thing that can arise in that transition time period, especially. Barrett, your extensive experience uh, as a doctor treating missionaries who are stateside is one of the main reasons we invited you to resiliency because you have just interacted with and helped so many um, field workers over the years whether it be just a, a normal type of routine checkup or maybe helping them with a mental health issue holistic health I guess um, what are some things some tips that you've given people who have maybe been out for a term or longer and they're stateside and they're getting a checkup with you and you've been able to say, you know, whether purely as a physician or even just as a discerning believer, you know, hey, here's what, here's something I want to recommend to you to help you to become that much more uh, adept, resilient, ready for, you know, continued life in your, in your cultural context. I think that the thing that comes to mind is a, it would be recommending a personal retreat in those in those situations a time to really step back from all commitments and and prayerfully and thoughtfully reevaluate where you are where your family is where your work is in light of your discerned personal sense of vocation mission um, and vision and then ask yourself how well aligned with that vision am I does that vision and that mission still speak to who I am does it need to be augmented does it need to be changed or do I need to change and where and then where prayerfully am I not well aligned with with that anymore and what can I do to bring myself back into alignment with that call uh, that sense of uh, that mission that vision that that sort of catalyzed um, the work to begin with mm. And one of the other things that you brought up in the email that kind of when we asked you to brainstorm a little bit, what, what are some topics we talk about? You, you brought up transition time maintenance and resiliency practices, and then there was the mindfulness to person, spouse, and team. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's making sure in whatever way you can to protect space for prayer for reflection on internal well-being and relational well-being 
so that you don't jump into a set of circumstances, especially in the overseas context where you're going in 20 different directions as one, at once, so that you're so you're thoughtfully building a schedule that you're that you're thoughtfully engaging with responsibilities, but in a way that allows you to have margin going into those rather than getting into 20 different things that seem good and then suddenly discovering after you're well into them that, oh my gosh, I, I have no time, I'm exhausted, and I'm having all of these additional physical, psychological, mental manifestations of, of ill health. Uh, what did I do to get here? And so I think it's it's being very intentional about saying yes, but also being intentional about saying no to things. So that there's there's margin to reflect and pray and see where what your internal response is, what your spouse's response is, what your kids' response is to the circumstances, and so you can discern what their needs are and respond to those, and and really have the margin and the time to respond to those needs, and and, and again not to rush into too much, too soon, too quickly. That's a really good word. And I love what you said about making kind of not just checking in with yourself, but also your family members. And, and uh, even you, you said in the, the email, even your, your team, um, because I think sometimes when we don't understand something I've seen as I've worked with, with people, we don't understand what the, um, what our spouse or our children are needing. Um, we might have the energy and the capacity to go, Hundred miles an hour, mm-hmm. but we're dragging our family through the through the mud, right? And then become resentful of them for holding us back, right? Yeah, and I my I'm an Enneagram six, but I revert to a three mode, which is kind of a CEO take charge, dominating kind of personality when I'm not in a healthy place. And I've seen myself do that to my own family when we're in a we're in a lot of we're in busyness. And there's a lot of stress, and, and I'll just I I will default to sort of taking over and Command. barking orders and commanding, and that I mean that has just shut my wife down, um, and it 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 alienates my children when I do that, and we've had to spend time in recovery because I've defaulted to that sort of CEO mode from time to time, and and I think I, I wish that I had had that insight. 20 years ago, 25 years ago, almost now, when we got married, because uh, I think it would have helped me be more mindful of what her needs are and what my mm-hmm. children's needs were. Even just learning that in the last year, year and a half, has really helped me to stop and say, oh, I'm, I'm defaulting to this dysfunctional mode, mm-hmm. this sinful mode for me. What do I do to back away from that? Mm-hmm. And then I think if your team is aware that you also have those proclivities as well and can say, hey, you're... I think you're leaning in this direction. How are you doing internally? Um, do you need to pull back? Do we need to give you space to to slow down and to regather and reassess and pray? When when you talk about that having to be in recovery, mm-hmm. I can anticipate other people who are listening to this thinking, I need to I need to pull back and I need to listen to my family and I need to to, to do this different. But what would recovery look like and what what would I have to anticipate recovery being that recovery process um recovery really only happens effectively when it's in the context of community so that would mean putting yourself intentionally in some type of a a relationship with somebody else 
and probably not a spouse, but probably a, a spiritual mentor, maybe a spiritual director, uh, a counselor um, that's trusted and, and reliable, um, making yourself, putting yourself intentionally in relationship with that person, as well as being accountable to your team and your family for the steps that you're taking and to find healing, to find recovery, to find balance. I know that's a little bit of a cursory answer because um, I haven't really thought of deeply about that. Those are, those are some of the things initially that I think are, are really important in that. I think that transparency, even though it's hard, is probably one of the most helpful things to incorporate into that process. Being willing to be transparent about where you are in that process. It, it, it does mean disengaging from responsibilities as well, and that might mean that you give up projects or, or tasks or responsibilities or roles that have given identity to you as well. So you're going to have to work with the relinquishment of identity in some places and, and the the internal refocusing, the internal rearrangement that comes with that and, and perhaps even a sense, at least temporarily, of not having much value. Wow, yeah. And I'm sure there's also the part that I'm saying, I'm sure as if I haven't I've had to do this myself at times, but um, re- rebuilding those relationships mm-hmm. with where they've been strained and stressed with your children, with your, your, your wife. Your spouse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Husband, wife, yeah. Whoever, whichever one you are. Because I've certainly seen women who are very gifted in leadership and, and have very driven personalities, and and they they can end up in a similar kind of place as well. Thinking about your own just depth of meditative time in the Word, I believe, just your commitment to to spiritual disciplines and your prayer life and all that. Um, is there anything that has has helped you to become a point of uh, scripturally to to kind of uh, ground yourself and recenter? Yes, um, I have gone back to the Psalms, and I'm going to find it here real quick because I don't have it memorized. Uh, Psalm 25 has been a real anchor for me especially verses four and five. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Um, the psalm goes on, and there's some just really great uh, encouragements. You hear, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimony. So just to a reminder that no matter how challenging and difficult the circumstances are, and, and maybe we are dealing with a mental health issue on top of that, that God's goodness underlies everything. And he always is working, even in the midst of those very difficult circumstances and some of the challenges that those bring to affect good on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that, the fact that it says sinners, because it doesn't ask us to be perfect. It just asks us to come to him with who we are, what we're dealing with, where we are, and say, here it is, Father, um, help. Mm-hmm. That's good. Bro, you talked about developing a rule of life, and with that there was this um, kind of this ongoing message that you've shared this morning about self-awareness, mm-hmm. knowing yourself more and having a deeper sense of self-awareness. Um and a lot of that had kind of the, the, the context of the conversation has been knowing wh- who you are and what your pro- proclivities or your weaknesses or tendencies are before going to the field. Mm-hmm. 
what about ongoing self-awareness? How do you continue to grow in that? Is apart from you know revisiting your your rule of life, what are some other practices or other ways that we can continue to develop in self-awareness or even just keeping that on the forefront of our minds instead of thinking, well, figure myself out. Now I know everything about myself. Mm-hmm. How do I can continue? How do we encourage people to continue to grow in that? Um, something, again, that I've found helpful is, is just reading more in depth on my personality and the, the things that often go along with as gifts, challenges, talents, um, stress points for the personalities that we're gifted with. And so gaining more insight into that, into those aspects of who I am through reading uh, along those lines. I think that the the discipline as well of, of spiritual direction, meeting regularly with somebody who's a trusted spiritual advisor um, and who can speak into our lives in a consistent way because we've been transparent with them and have an established relationship with them can also be very helpful in that regard. And and as they listen to God with us and on our behalf, they can speak life into our circumstances in creative and fresh ways that are prophetic, um, that are challenging, that are convicting, um, and can help us mature and grow um, in those ways. I have an idea of what a spiritual director is, but I'm not sure that all of, of our listeners would. What, what do you, when you refer to a spiritual director, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so that, that's somebody, generally I think of them as being um, in a, in, truly in a ministry role who are intentionally sitting down with us to lead us through a process of prayer, maybe even confession. Uh, in my own tradition now, which is the Anglican tradition, oftentimes that ends up being a priest, but doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, but somebody who's skilled and has uh, a proven track record of, of being diligent to listening to God with others and discerning with others prayerfully, carefully, slowly um, what God is saying yeah. in those moments. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's ironic because the, the, there's this na- labeled name, spiritual director, but it seems like a misnomer because they don't do a whole lot of directing. Right. They're, they're more facilitating a, a space for hearing from the Lord right. together with you. And The best directors ask questions. They don't say, do this, do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they ask questions that are insightful and help spur you on to prayer, uh, reflection, further conversation, meditation, reading, reading scripture. And, and it's in those contexts that I think that the most potential for growth exists and the most potential for change and, and healing and transformation exists. Mm, that's good. Uh, this is going to be changing the, the, the direction just a little bit, but what are some red flag type things that people should be aware of as they're, as they're walking through this life on the field, uh, maybe just kind of caught up in the busyness of everything? And maybe it's somebody that's not self-aware mm-hmm. as much as they should be. So I think of um, an increased level of irritability, particularly if, if you're snapping more, if anger's coming out more, that's a potential vital sign that, that things aren't necessarily well uh, on the interior. If, uh, if you're not sleeping well, that can be a pretty, pretty big deal. Um, disengagement from uh, important, significant relationships can also be a sign of ill health. 
lack of motivation to continue to engage with whatever it is that you're doing, uh, loss of appetite, loss of weight, those things can also go along with, with poor health. Lack of interest, lack of being able to take and find pleasure and joy in activities that have normally brought pleasure and joy um, can also be um, an, a sign of, of, um, of a problem. Mm-hmm. So those are the kinds of things that we can look out for in ourselves, but those are also the things that others around us need to fully be, be asking us about. Um, hey, I, I've noticed that you're, that you're looking more tired than usual. How are things? You were pretty short with me on a couple of occasions recently. Are things doing, are things going well for you? Those kinds of questions. And then a willingness on the, on the, on the end of the one who's being asked those questions to be transparent can really open the door to significant conversations that might disclose ill health uh, in the spiritual domain and the psychological domain. That's good. I don't want to ask a yes-no question of you here, Bert, but it feels like <laughs> I think we need to be wrapping things up, and I'm uh, just the theme that resounds to me as we speak to you about holistic health on the field and um, making it for the long haul is living our lives intentionally in a reflective mode, mm-hmm. valuing silence mm-hmm. and maybe solitude. I think we haven't said the word yet this morning, but solitude is yes, part of that because of personal retreat. But not while we value silence, while we value solitude, while we value reflection, that it be combined and make sure that it's coupled with community mm-hmm. and with listening to others and sharing openly and, and vulnerably with others. Um, yeah, like I say, I don't want to say, would you say that's right? <laughs> we just heard you say it, but I'm, I, do, I, I did just sense the need, not the need as much as the desire for maybe even my own self as well as our listeners just to pull into a, a little capsule, uh, a summarization of this valuable time with you, yeah. who um, I think just hearing you share is, is motivating to me. Uh, because if you were in the room with us, you would know that this that Burrett is sharing with us, you literally bring that presence in here. So mm-hmm. thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I think I would be remiss as well if we didn't go back to your question about illness um, and, and being unsettled, being out of, um, or in, in a place of t- t- tending towards ill health and to say that some of the more severe markers of, 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 um, psychological ill health would be um, are we thinking about killing ourselves mm-hmm. are we thinking about are we having thoughts along the lines of I, I, I think things would be better off if I wasn't here um, are or how having, easy it would be just to turn into that bridge piling or something yes, like that yes know? or what if I just stepped out into the middle of the traffic mm-hmm. right now um, those are huge huge red flags and if you're having those kinds of thoughts you need to stop and you need to pull back and you need to acknowledge them with some people you trust and you need to get help. Hallucinations, whether audible, um, visible, command, voices telling you walk in front of that car or pick that knife up and just put it through her chest. Um, those kinds of things are not normal um, and they're significant markers of, of ill health. And I will say that, that it would be I think the ideal situation, if, if people were connected with, with health care when they're overseas, telemedicine has evolved to the point where we can do video visits with people overseas even, 
and the psychiatric evaluation, the psychological evaluation, doesn't necessarily require an in-person physical exam. When you're present to somebody on a screen and can talk, you can assess patterns of speech, you can assess overall physical appearance, and those go a long way towards telling a physician or a mental health professional how somebody's doing. So I, I really encourage mm -hmm. taking advantage of the technology that's available to us to, to, if those things are needed, if you're having those kinds of thoughts, to engage with a medical professional, ideally a medical professional of faith, who can help discern with you what's going on and, and do that in, in a way that's sensitive to what the Spirit's saying and, and, to, what you, and to who you are and who God's made you to be. Um, those are tools that can really be helpful when, if things really start to go south for people mm -hmm. um, and can be great portals to access assistance and help in those domains. And we shouldn't be shy about asking for help for ourselves or for colleagues, for team members, um, when those things arise. Yeah. yeah. Such great counsel, Burrett. Thank you so much. Everything you've shared is, um, this is like the real, the real stuff. You know, this isn't the highlight reel uh, uh, <laughs> newsletter, you know. This is, hey, my life, how I'm living my life day to day. And um, that's why we have you here because we know that you help people live a healthier life. I was joking with Mindy on the way over here. I said, if Silas and Steve want to rename their podcast, they could call it Beyond the Newsletter. <laughs> That's it. You that could it. be a great subtitle. You got it. Resiliency, Beyond the Newsletter. Well, why don't you pray for all those who are writing those monthly newsletters and just pray a blessing over them. All right. Well, Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for your people. Each one is precious in your sight. Each one matters to you, and you care deeply about each one um, as individuals and in the context of family and community. Thank you that you desire to teach us your ways, and um, you don't ask us to be perfect in coming to you. You just ask us to come to you with a humble, open-handed posture. And thank you that you and your great mercy answer cries for help yes. um, because of your great love. I pray that each one who's listening now would have a fresh awareness of your mercy, of your love, of your grace, uh, and of the avail availability of healing um, where yes. there needs to be healing. And I pray that you would open doors to access that healing in fresh ways for people that need it. You would shore up those places where they, where they need to re be shored up. Um, and that you would continue to strengthen, support, and encourage and give hope um, to all yes, by your grace. I ask these things in your name. Amen. 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 Thanks again, Brett. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Resiliency. Special thanks to Antioch Music and their original song, Nothing Can Stop, for our intro and our outro music. Tune in again in two weeks for our next episode of Resiliency. Stop your good